Hello. On today's Dairy Defined podcast, we have the privilege of speaking to Congressman Glenn G.T. Thompson, who represents Pennsylvania's 15th district in the U.S. House of Representatives. The Republican representing Pennsylvania's geographically largest congressional district is a member of the House Agriculture Committee, where he is the ranking member of the General Farm Commodities and Risk Management Subcommittee. That panel was key to designing the farm safety net in the last farm bill and is crucial to agriculture's response to coronavirus. He's been mentioned as potentially becoming the top Republican on House Ag in the next Congress, but agriculture isn't all he's about. He's in his fifth term as co-chairman of the Bipartisan Congressional Career and Technical Education Caucus. He's a volunteer firefighter and a former Boy Scout Council president. For 28 years, he was a therapist, rehabilitation services manager, and a licensed nursing home administrator. The graduate of Penn State University and Temple University lives in Howard Township, Pennsylvania with his wife. Thank you for joining us, Congressman Thompson. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, speaking of opportunities, in the last Congress, you had the opportunity to serve as vice chairman of the House Agriculture Committee during the crafting of the 2018 Farm Bill. And of course, you played an active role in improving the dairy program. What's your take on how the dairy margin coverage program and the Farm Bill as a whole have performed since their enactment? And, and how has the coronavirus crisis changed your perspective? Well, uh, the coronavirus actually has really reaffirmed that, especially when it came to risk management, uh, with specifically the new program of the dairy margin coverage, uh, DMC, that, that I think we got it right. Uh, it has proven to be very, very helpful for those farmers that, that had the, uh, you know, the inclination, the foresight to be able to uh, sign up for that program. Um, I think in combination with, obviously, uh, a number of other programs that, that we put forward door specifically for the for the COVID-19 crisis. So the Paycheck Protection Program, the Economic in, uh, Incentive uh, uh, Payments, the IDLE, IDLE Loan Program, uh, the CFAP most recently, uh, both one and now two coming out, uh, and perhaps a, a three when we get that across the finish line. Um, you know, when I talk with dairy farmers, the, the ones that, uh, because, you know, we've been in some difficult times uh, when it comes to the rural economy and specifically dairy. And that uh, that largely was driven by the fact we lost uh, an entire generation, if not two, of milk drinkers. Uh, when uh, back in 2010, Congress took milk fat uh, out of our schools and basically left these kids to drink chalk water um, and uh, yeah, or low fat chocolate milk. And I don't know if you've ever tried that, quite frankly, it's just plain disgusting. Um, and so, you know, you know, we, we lost a generation of milk drinkers. And so things were difficult, although I will say there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, prior to COVID-19, we saw milk prices, milk futures, things were coming up, things were looking better. And then this light at the end of the tunnel turned out to be a, uh, a highly contagious virus. Uh, it disrupted our food supply chain. Um, and so, um, my evaluation, though, and I've, I've hosted a number of dairy summits, uh, uh, almost all of them virtual, but uh, we have started doing that in person, uh, some in-person agriculture meetings, which is really refreshing. I tell people that feels like it's prison work release, you know, being able to be out and about and, and sitting in, the, in, uh, in um, uh, you know, whether it's in the field or the barnyard or wherever, talking with farmers. And um, 
but my evaluation is that for the farmers who signed up for the dairy margin coverage, they're very thankful for that program, that that's been one of a number of effective tools to help them uh, during through some pretty difficult times. Now, you're seeking the top Republican spot on the Agriculture Committee for next year. Can you share your vision for the committee? And, and would there be any must-do items at the beginning of your tenure in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my vision for the committee, because that's, I think that's important. You have to lay out a vision. You have to lay out, um, you know, the pathways to achieve that when it comes to the Agriculture Committee. And, and my vision is, is that we have a future-focused policy agenda that really restores a robust rural economy and empowers rural communities. And I think we can see that by, uh, obviously, where our farm families, our ranch families are doing better financially, our rural communities uh, uh, restore a robust rural economy, and and we begin to grow or regrow is the best way to say it, uh, rural America. You know, our number one export, unfortunately, has been our, our youngest generations. Uh, who we lose, they they move on to other areas, and um, and quite frankly, we can do better than that. And so, how do we achieve that that vision? For me, uh, uh, you know, one of my priori- priorities it starts with investment in rural broadband. You know, connectivity impacts absolutely every aspect of our lives. Certainly, from a business per- perspective, and and our dairy farms or our farmers are all businesses that they have to manage, um, you know, their expenses and, and uh, their, their revenue and hopefully have more, more, more profit at the end of the day that they keep for themselves. Uh, but it's, it impacts connectivity, impacts education, healthcare, you know, and, and, and so much more. And so, uh, uh, you know, with precision agriculture today, you know, agriculture has always been science and technology. Uh, but now we have the types of uh, uh, technology opportunities using the virtual world by using connectivity. And I'm talking about high-speed broadband. We need to have confidence uh, of that, uh, that every American family, certainly every farm family, every, every, every family in rural America has ac- as much access to high-speed rural broadband as they do electricity that we tend to take for granted today. And then we need to grow new markets. Uh, that's incredibly important. You know, the best way to really support our farmers and ranchers is to is with increased market opportunities. And that and that's both domestic and foreign. So uh, we know and we celebrate USMCA, uh, the China trade deal, the Philippines. Uh, uh, you know, I know we're working now on uh, uh, Great Britain, um, European unions out there. And those are all markets that would be good for agriculture and specifically good for uh, certainly good for uh, for dairy, um, and then it's domestic uh, markets, and that's uh, that's innovation here at home. I mean, you know, one of the new innovations when it comes to um, number one, the utilization of milk. Uh, what new dairy products are out there on the horizon that will expand domestic markets, and it's and what innovations are out there in terms of of uh, making connection with those domestic markets. And it's, uh, it's been interesting to see. Uh, the number of dairy farmers that and dairy farm families are taking advantage of like the USDA value added program so that they not just produce the milk on the, on the farm, they're actually doing home deliveries again. They're processing it. They're manufacturing ice cream and cheese. And, and so that's, that's all that. And then certainly strengthening the safety net, uh, the dairy, uh, dairy margin coverage is an important part of that. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, that safety net is reliable and secure and, and that's important. It's critical to giving our farm families peace of mind. 
And then finally, on on just a, a brief checklist of, of four things, uh, identifying climate solutions. I think that is so important today because of it. It gets so much of attention, and the fact is that our farmers are you know they're the original environmentalists. Uh, that's my perspective. Uh, uh, of someone whose family was in farming for, for generations. You know, we do through our co- voluntary conservation programs, uh, uh, precision agriculture, uh, the healthy soil applications using uh, cover crops uh, and different techniques. And you couple that with, quite frankly, our, water, our, um, our healthy forest management and trees are a crop. We actually, agriculture and rural America contributes the largest carbon sinks in the world. And yet we fail to take credit for it. Um, And sometimes we become a target of those who want to impose more environmental regulations. Uh, But the fact is what we're doing voluntarily today is taking more carbon out of the air. And the great part of that, in my mind, is we not only take it out of the air, uh, we're manufacturing topsoil. So we can continue to feed ourselves, our our nation, and quite frankly, parts of the world. I want to talk to you a little bit about what you were saying regarding dairy innovation. You know, when you talk about solutions for dairy, it's much broader necessarily than what even the agriculture committee is dealing with. You are also on the education and labor committee where you've been working to make sure that students in school have access to healthy, nutritious dairy products. Could you tell us a little bit about your ongoing efforts there and and the broader effort to expand access to dairy? Quite frankly, the Democratic-led Congress in 2010 demonized milk fat. We you know, we just saw the amount of waste that we've seen in schools, uh, the the, uh, uh, the amount of um, the the decrease in consumption of milk because we were no longer giving them number one the most nutritional experience because that's where the milk that's what milk fat offers right, but we we're also we were not giving them the the best milk experience for taste and that really disrupted uh, the milk market domestically for us. Now I'm really pleased and really thankful to. USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue, who actually implemented my language uh, to uh, to restore one uh, at least one percent milk fat and flavor into the schools, and we've actually seen consumption go up. Uh, so that is that has been very beneficial. Something that sort of an unintended consequence of this this virus is we've seen the demand for whole milk increase significantly. Uh, interesting, fifty three percent of all meals prior to the virus were eaten in restaurants at restaurant tables. And all those families were forced back to the family dining room table. This virus had terrible consequences. But one of the things that was unattended and was positive, I think, is that there are many children, and I would argue there's probably tens of thousands, uh, if you know, if not a hundred thousands, of children in in this country that had their their first experience with whole milk uh, at those family dining room tables because whole milk was flying off the shelf. Uh, as as people were sheltering in place at home, um, I am trying to advance uh, legislation to uh, to restore um, the uh, the use the option for whole milk in schools. I I think that's uh, incredibly important. We're working on developing, and I've got great bipartisan uh, co sponsors for that. Now, again, I wish that was in the jurisdiction of the uh, agriculture committee because we'd have it done already. Uh, in fact, one of my original co-sponsors on on that that bill was uh, Congressman Colin Peterson, a friend of mine from Minnesota, Democratic chairman. And then we have uh, Congressman Mike Conaway, who uh, was an original co-sponsor as well, you know, Republican leader. So, uh, you know, a strong bipartisan issue. 
Unfortunately, the jurisdiction for this falls in the Education and Labor Committee. And although I, I think if I could get the chairman to, to give an opportunity to vote, I think I have enough Republicans and Democrats on those committees that we could get it out of committee. So we're we're still uh, obviously still uh, uh, working on that. Um, uh, there's the Healthy Kids Act is the name of the bill. Uh, there's another bill that I was proud to work with a, a colleague of mine, uh, Congressman Fred Keller, almost also from Pennsylvania, part of my delegation, um, and uh, and that is one that restores. Uh, uh, it, it allows uh, uh, WIC participants, you know, those those families that are struggling financially, um, allows them to select uh, both 2% and whole milk. Uh, that's incredibly important. WIC, the, the Women, Infant, and Children Program, uh, and it, it's families that are in financially hard times. That, I'll be honest, that was my wife and I uh, when we were first pregnant with our, with, with our first son, which has been well over 30 years ago now. Um, we qualified for that, and um, and it was helpful to make sure that both Penny and the baby she was carrying, her son Parker, you know, got access to the nutrition that they needed to have. And so I'm uh, this uh, this piece of legislation is called the Give Milk Act. Uh, proud to do that with Congressman Keller, and and again, it just provides a more healthy options. Uh, for WIC participants. One of the big successes we saw in the last Congress was the passage of the USMCA agreement. Derry was at the center of that debate. What do you think needs to happen to make sure uh, the U.S. gets all it's bargained for in Derry regarding the agreement? In the past, it's been my observation, uh, as I look back in history, when things like NAFTA were uh, negotiated um, or, or other trade agreements, you know, that when the trade agreements were adopted, were signed, were approved by Congress, that members of Congress kind of washed their hands and said, look at us. Didn't we do such a great thing of uh, approving, you know, getting these uh, trade agreements that were negotiated by the administration's approved legislatively? You know, and that falls short. Uh, I don't see that in the 116th Congress. Certainly not going to see that, I can tell you, in the 117th Congress. Uh, we're going to make sure that we you know, we fulfill our role of uh, oversight. You know, I've been very pleased that we have done that with uh, meeting with uh, various members of uh, USDA's uh, uh, Secretary Purdue staff, uh, also with the U.S. Trade Representative. You know, now that major successes like USMCA are on the books, uh, you know, we want, and, and China. Uh, China is another uh, important one. You know, uh, that we, we need to make sure that our trading partners are living up to the promises that they've met. You know, promises made, promises kept. Uh, and that's important with our trade uh, partners. Um, and so, um, so I think oversight going forward is extremely important. Um, I think uh, uh, communications, I'm looking forward to communicating, obviously, uh, you know, uh, both with uh, my corresponding colleagues, uh, the agriculture leaders in both Canada and Mexico, and their legislators, to, you know, to you know, so that we can communicate on, you know, how are we doing? Uh, how are both countries doing at fulfilling their their obligations? Canada, in particular, you know, uh, had created sort of an isolationist policy with a class six, class seven, uh, ultra filtered milk. Um, which really was just about stopping export. Number one, stopping uh, U.S. produced milk being exported into Canada. Uh, number two, they were sort they were saturating third world country markets where we used to sell some of our dairy components to. And so, uh, all of that uh, should be, and I think is opening up at this point. Um, but again, 
We need to have the oversight and uh, and have some transparency. Looking in the weeks and months ahead, um, many in the agriculture community had hopes for additional stimulus from Congress through one additional piece of coronavirus-related legislation this year. Uh, we saw the announcement of the CFAP 2, uh, which came from legislation passed earlier in the year. But it seems like a fresh round of aid, uh, the hope seemed to be ebbing with the calendar running down and the Senate now being consumed by a Supreme Court nomination. Would you have more hope that a stimulus package could be done in a lame duck sec- session? A- and would such legislation even be necessary? Well, the, the need for it, um, we'll, we'll have to see. Because I do believe that to, you know, as somebody who, you know, I practiced healthcare for 28 years, right? So I always learned that you start out with an assessment of where you're at at any point in time to, to really determine what the measurable needs are. And I know their needs remain in the agriculture sector. Uh, we, we, we still see s- some modest, it's getting better, disruption in the food supply chain. Uh, but we also need to take the proper steps to build resiliency so that the next time something like this happens, we, we don't have all the all the struggles that, that we have struggled with now for four to five months. Um, and so I am pleased that there is a CFAP too. It doesn't require any type of legislative authority, or it already has legislative authority from the CARES Act, um, and that is helpful. Um, I support what uh, Secretary Purdue is putting forward. Uh, there was uh, replenishing of the Commodity Credit Corporation, which is so essential to making sure that we're able to you know, to, to cover all the agriculture programs that are out there, whether they would be risk management, conservation, uh, the monies that have been utilized for the pandemic. Um, uh, and also, I, I put a plug, I really appreciate the extension of the uh, uh, the pandemic uh, EBT card for nutritional support uh, for uh, for kids that are and families that are still struggling uh, because of, of work disruption or poverty. So the, I think that's about uh, $20 billion or so that will be coming out. Um, so I certainly encourage all farmers, certainly, you know, dairy, but all farmers to be applying for those. That, uh, those applic- that op- application period opened back up. Uh, people need to understand that just because you got the first time doesn't mean you get the second time. You need to, to check with your farm service agency uh, and get that application uh, with one of those agents to get get that application uh, going. Um, and then I think we need to measure where we're at. Uh, as restaurants start to open up, colleges maybe with reduced attendance are, are opening back up. Um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of kids are back in school. Uh, you know, those were the factors that really created that uh, um that supply chain disruption. Now it's it's all reduced at this point, so that means that the supply chain is still somewhat disrupted. Um, so we'll roll out CFAP two, and then I'm going to be. And to me, then it's about keeping my pulse on on the agriculture community or our farmers and ranchers. You know, to see uh, how are they doing, uh, are they struggling? The key thing is we need to keep them farming because when you lose a farm, you lose a ranch, you, you wind up with a housing development. You, you wound up with impervious surfaces that, that cause more runoff and increased flooding. Uh, you, run, you, you wind up with more environmental issues uh, and concerns, uh, more concerns on the climate. And that's why we need to keep our farms farming. Um, so the, I guess the, the question for, you know, what's next is really monitoring and see how well are we doing as, as the, uh, the next round of CFAP2 is, is deployed.
We, of course, are going to soon be adjourning Congress for election season. As a member of the House of Representatives, you are up for re-election. Uh, you're, you're campaigning and you're meeting with folks in Pennsylvania, a, a state that is certainly very high on the national radar these days. Regardless of the election outcome, regardless of which party controls the White House or the House or the Senate, what kind of country should we be aiming to be a year from now? Taking account political transitions, coronavirus vaccines, what should a normal America look like in 2021? Well, I would hope and I pray about this that we look united. Our country is as divided as it has ever been, probably since the time of the Civil War. You know, we all have differences, right? I mean, we all have disagreements, but, you know, um, Quite frankly, we can learn to live with those differences. If we couldn't do that, uh, well, anyone that doesn't think that anyone who thinks that we actually should agree all the time about everything has never been married. All right. It's, you know, uh, we, you know, so by unity, coming to the table and looking at what can we agree upon and making that the basis uh, for the discussion for building solutions to the problems that our, our nation and this nation's families are facing. Um, we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about what we disagree upon. Quite frankly, we can all be overwhelmed by 24-7 cable news uh, with that. But it's what we can agree upon and making that the basis for cost-effective solutions. And so that, um, you know, that would be my hope. And, and, and my hope that perhaps we can at that point be a country uh, once again that, uh, and certainly a Congress, you know, that puts people before politics. Because we have certainly, uh, sadly, even in the middle of this crisis, which it should, you know, uh, we haven't seen a national health emergency like this since probably the, on this scale, probably the polio epidemic, I would say. And we've had other pandemics uh, since, since polio. But polio, you know, polio lasted over a decade before we had a vaccine. It impacted all aspects of our lives. In fact, most of us probably have a family member or somebody that we know that, uh, that has the physical impairments as a result of the polio epidemic still alive today. That That is my hope and my prayer that we, uh, so unity and, and quite frankly, uh, you know, that we can, as, can we, we can be a deliberative elective body, you know, where we come together and we put people before politics. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That's what the agriculture committee has always done. That's why I love working on the agriculture committee. Um, we'd have never run into this milk situation if, if we'd had that jurisdiction in the, uh, in the agriculture committee in our, in our schools. And uh, so that's, uh, that's what I'm hopeful for. Congressman Glenn G.T. Thompson, Republican of Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. That's it for today's podcast. You can find it online on NMPF's new Sharing Our Story page. That's a drop down from our homepage. And you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play under the podcast name Dairy Defined. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.